All right, here we go. So we have a new segment that I'm excited to start. We're going to call this Diversial. Now, obviously, Diversial is the name of the brand, but I just felt that it was fitting. Um, it has a nice ring to it. I didn't think we need to get too cute with it. So for everyone listening, I'm excited to present and announce that we're going to start a new segment called Diversial, where it's going to be myself and the founder and CEO of the of the amazing product and company, Diversial, Randeep, who is also here. Um, I will allow her to do a, a, a brief intro and say hello, but this is going to be an ongoing series. So every now and again, probably two to three days a week, you will hear myself or Randeep in a solo structure, providing some thoughts, insights, perspectives at a high as well as deep level. And then I believe we said maybe, do we say once or twice a week or, or how many times we, do, do you think we uh, we agreed to roll this out? Because I want to want to make it consistent for the listeners. For sure. I think uh, the cadence we're aiming for is weekly. Right. So at least once a week, um, Randeep and I, or maybe even bi-weekly, we'll, 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 we'll keep you updated. But um, consistently, you will be hearing from the both of us on a 30 to 40 minute episode, you know, breaking down Diversal as a product, breaking down the themes and the values and the perspectives that hold the company upright. And we'll be breaking down our thoughts in the DEI space overall. Um, and this will be fun because all of those listening, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that here at the E1B2 Collective podcast, we cover a lot of different things. And I'm excited to be able to cover one main core element. So without without further, you know, delay, Please let the world know again, because I know you came on the recap show, but let the world again know who you are. Uh, you are now officially a uh, a co-host within this podcast. And so please give us a, a full breakdown, who you are, what you're excited about, and uh, what we can expect for today's show. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. It is my absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, this has been a bucket list item for me for a while, so uh, I appreciate the opportunity to kind of get started working alongside with you. Um, so as you mentioned, um, my name is Randeep, and I'm the CEO and founder of Diversial, um, actually just located north of the border in Toronto. Um, but you and I met as we had a lot of, um, I would say, uh, things in common, and we won't talk about the sports here, but from a work perspective, I think both you and I are really focused on the future of work. And I think that's going to be such an exciting topic to continue to learn more and help, um, you know, create more exposure and awareness for our listeners. I agree. I agree. And I'm very thankful for, you know, the opportunity and, and the partnership and the, um, Again, the the opportunity to present some more consistent, dialed in content because again, you know, it's very rangy. So, um, I guess let's start this way. What's top of mind for you in the DEI space now that you and I are uh, partnered up? You know, we're working very hard to to bring Diversal as a product um, to, to the market and and bring a lot of awareness around it. But just as an overall theme of DEI. What's the first thing that pops out to you? What's the first thing top of mind? And and we'll do a little bit of back and forth and, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so I, I would say not only is it our, you know, tagline. So for example, Diversial helps organizations build inclusive workplace cultures. Um, I also am a very systematic person. So I like to start with, you know, a methodical approach. So when you look at DEIB, I think the first thing you need to look at and understand is, okay, you know, 
you want to build an inclusive workplace. Where do you start? What does that mean? Why is it important? How do you begin? So I think, you know, creating that foundation and discussing the essentials, I think that's kind of where I go to. And then obviously uh, it'll expand from there. Well, let's start with one of the first essentials. What's, what do you think is one of the first essentials as it pertains to focusing on DEI and B, right? I, I keep, for, you know, at okay. times, but what do you think is an essential, essential there? Yep, I would say that's an interchangeable um, uh, acronym. So we can yeah, certainly work with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, okay, so inclusive workplace. Uh, for me, what is the definition of it? It's an environment that encourages the attitudes, actions, and behaviors of employees so they can achieve their full potential irrespective of their difference. And that's why I say DEIB. I think a lot of people misconstrue what that means. And for example, I think people jump to the conclusion and think DEIB is just about hiring underrepresented talent. That is a core component of it, but there's so much more. And what I always like to make sure uh, that people understand is that diversity and inclusion are not mutually exclusive, meaning you can have diversity and diverse representation, but if you don't have an inclusive workplace, that is not going to be sustainable. So the core thing, the very first thing you should need to do is build that inclusive workplace. And to do that, what you really need to do is understand what your current state is. And, you know, you and I have talked about this, and I think this is, is something everyone is aware of. It's a journey. Every organization has a different, you know, starting point. So this is the part where you have to customize it. But you'd really need to know if you were to, you know, address current state, pulse check. What does that mean for your organization? And the best way to do that is to collect data. Here's a fun question for you. Um, is there an argument that can be made that the I in DEI and B, and you kind of just said it, but I want to double click into it a little bit more. Is there an argument that can be made that building inclusive cultures and experiences are more important than any of the other acronyms or any or any of the other best practices that 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 support these acronyms but let me also dive to to another level not only is it potentially more important but do you believe if an organization does not have a diverse set of employees that if they're going to start anywhere before they even potentially tap into bringing in diverse backgrounds or bringing in literally diverse um, human beings from a gender or race perspective, do you believe at least starting with the I is a decent place to start? Or, or where would the starting point be, in your opinion, if, if we were to try to play devil's advocate on, I don't want to say the more important factor, but a, a place that everyone can start in a realistic manner? Because, and this is the last thing I'll say, I believe a lot of people tend to start on just the recruiting of diverse candidates, bringing in diverse folks to join a diverse team, um, different genders, different backgrounds, different, um, different races. But I also agree that the I, building inclusive culture, is probably the hardest piece and can provide the, the highest KP, you know, KPIs, the highest ROI and the highest impact and the most um, the most dividends long term. So, so what are your thoughts on that whole rant there? 
Yeah, no, I, that's a fantastic question. And uh, I will a million percent um, state again. Yes, we help build inclusive cultures for organizations because to me, that is the foundation uh, because you cannot have the others without the I. Um, and I think the, the diverse representation, of course, it's important, but that's where the data you have to look at geo, you know, different geographies as well. Certain places have, you know, different different types of representation, but that's only one dimension of diversity, right? What about diversity of age? What about, you know, diversity from socioeconomic backgrounds? And, you know, my personal favorite diversity of thought, which is obviously very, very difficult to assess and measure, but nonetheless, like there's so many dimensions. And I think to your point, people, um, it's, it's it's the one that's most visible. So, you know, um, inherently we want to focus on that, absolutely. But the two need to work together. And to me, I, I think the inclusivity part is the one that will be most sustainable and will help organizations in the long run, right? So for example, you know, um, Gallup did a study on, you know, inclusion and engagement, et cetera. And what they found was globally organizations are losing, you know, $7.8 trillion annually. Like that's a lot of money due to disengagement. But if you just built an inclusive culture where people are engaged, they want to work, they're, you know, they're motivated and they want to progress, like pff, ching ching, like everyone wins. So to me, it's a no brainer. I totally agree. I totally agree. So let's so let's dive in even deeper into the I for a second. So there's a couple of different elements that I think of. You know, for me, psychological safety is something that has been a trend, trendy word, a buzzword for many years. But I think there's there's not enough leaders and organizations that actually know how to do or build uh, psychological safety. Um, build inclusive cultures. So let me let me dive in a couple of different rabbit holes and let's see if you have any thoughts on them. <clears throat> the first area I would probably go is, and actually I, 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 I tend to always go here and I was actually going to go in a different direction, but I'll keep going with what I usually do. I like to start and discuss on the hiring side of things because <laughs> I believe it really begins or should begin on how you're bringing people into your company, into your culture, into your team. Um, so do you have any thoughts, insights, perspectives on, um, on as we think about psychological safety? Because everyone's nervous during the interview process, typically. A lot of applicants are a little bit uncomfortable, typically. They don't know anything about the company based off of whatever, you know, obviously they know what they read online or whatever they read the JD, whatever the case is going to be. So do you have any thoughts on inclusivity, you know, baking in inclusive moments into the hiring process and psychological safety on that piece first and foremost, and then we'll kind of work our way into the company. Do you have any macro thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I, I agree with you to me, like, and this is my philosophy based on, you know, my research and data and experiences that inequity in the workplace um, is due to subjective hiring practices, policies, and programs. So that is like literally the root cause of inequity. Um, but so if you can eliminate some of those systemic issues, barriers, and biases, yeah, of course, you're going to have a more diverse and inclusive workplace, but easier said than done, right? So to your point, once again, sorry, I'm very methodical. So I, I do think about the candidate journey. So first thing first, recruitment, what does that process look like, right? Um, 
100%, it should be more skill-based hiring that organizations are moving towards, which will be um, the incorporation of assessing certain skills rather than experience or education, because a lot of people just face these systemic barriers all the time. And so they don't even pass the very first screening, but they could be amazing candidates, right? Um, actually, today, I was just kind of... Um, talking to someone about, um, you know, in Canada, for example, and I mean everywhere, but there's a lot of international students that come and here they actually really struggle to get those same equitable opportunities for career advancement. And so they were super frustrated. So we were having a little focus group and I'm just like, I felt really bad because they're overqualified, but it's not their fault. It's the system. So employers and recruiters need to move more towards skill-based hiring to make it more inclusive. And then when you get in that process to making sure you have multiple data points, right? Um, you know, what is the makeup of your hiring committee? Um, you know, are you using, you know, psychometric assessments or are you giving a skills challenge or a cognitive assessment? So at least you can have different data points and use like kind of a matrix or a scorecard to evaluate candidates. Because, you know, we know it's human to have those biases, but having this data and scorecard and measurement is going to help eliminate some of that. So at the end of the day, what everyone wants is the best person for the job and that's the most effective way to achieve that i couldn't agree more now and, and i'll add one element that i for a fact do not see a lot of companies do but i know personally that it works very well and it can really help from a psychological safety perspective make people feel more comfortable during the hiring and recruiting process so let's say they do everything that you just outlined and they find that the applicant is not a great fit right? For that particular role. Th something I say all the time to build psychological safety, to, 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 to bake inclusivity into, into, into the hiring recruitment process, teach your recruiters, teach your hiring managers how to, number one, understand the skills needed for multiple to, for multiple roles that may be similar to the role that they're trying to place. Number one, like make sure you're hiring people actually know about the skills that are needed for roles that are similar enough, right? A lot of this happens, a lot of this tends to happen on the partnerships and sales side of things. Anytime you're trying to hire someone to join and lead your sales team and or your partnership team, there's usually a lot of similar skill sets that are needed for, for both for both sales roles and or partnerships roles, right? And so for me, my, my first thought is always understand what those similar skill sets are. Secondly, make sure you're hiring people have enough bandwidth and enough decision-making ability to say, you know what, Andrew, as an example, I don't think you're a great fit for this particular role, but because I care about making you feel comfortable, because I want you to be, you know, feel psychological safety, because I want you to have a great experience, because I care about employer branding, because I care about you as a human being, period, and because I respect your diverse background and how you got here and your skills, from what I've learned about you, I think you would actually be a better fit for this particular role. I've actually done the hard work for you. I've reached out to the hiring managers and the, and the team on that, that role already. I've already given them your CV. I've already let them know about you. And we've already pushed you into the same stage of the round that you're on now for that particular role. Good luck to you. The notes are already in the system. Um, you know, Reach out to me if you have any questions, insights, thoughts, perspective, but I wish you the best. That that is like I don't think too many people understand how happy, how comfortable, how safe, 
how inclusive, how 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 beneficial an experience like that would be. Do you have any brief thoughts on that? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, um, it always comes down to proper skill-based hiring. So your example that you provided is exactly that. If you can identify the skills that this candidate has and match them with a position that requires the skills. Once again, we're not talking about experience. We're not talking about education, skills, skills, skills. You are going to have better success, not only to fill those vacancies or jobs or promote people, but it creates um, you know, a much more inclusive experience for the candidate as well, to your point. One hundred percent. So then, let's walk in. Let's let's walk a little further. So now someone's hired. Let's talk about onboarding. Is, is there anything from a DEI perspective that resonates during the onboarding process for you? Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage every organization to incorporate um, DEIB into the onboarding, or at least like part of the first 30 day plan, right? Uh, because, you know, especially the last couple of years, obviously we saw an explosion of like remote work and distributed teams. So you don't get to like walk into the office and like meet people at, or like, you know, um, go for a coffee with someone and get to understand and experience that. So when you're doing it remotely, how do you get a feel for that, right? Um, and so it's really important for organizations to not only talk about general, like, culture tendencies, but how your organization is creating an inclusive and safe space. Uh, do that sooner rather than later, and you're going to see dividends on the new employees. And I, and I love that. And I'll give a, a quick little nuanced little tactic here. And you'll probably start to notice this trend. What I've done throughout my career is I've found little tiny tactics, little tiny tools that you can do, little tweaks that you can do to each phase of the process to make things more inclusive. Um, I've helped a lot of companies as it pertains to the onboarding process put in place a, pro I'm trying to remember what I called it because uh, I did this when I was internal as I had people. Essentially what I put in place was, um, shoot, I'm trying, what did I call it? All right, let's move beyond the name. Let me just focus on what, sure. what it actually did. Um, I'm so stuck on what it's called. But anyway, what we did is when we were when we were nearing the end of the two-week or three-week or four-week or one, you know, one day or one month or one week onboarding phase, what I would always put in place is I would provide two different forms of communication. We would do a one-on-one. With, we would have the hiring manager slash the supervisor, the manager of that team, that department, or that or that employee. Um, we would we would set up a one on one conversation. We would also provide and administer a survey, and and within both of those communications, we will look to extract and what we will look to seek is would they want an extension. Do you need an extension? Do you, so. There are all these different categories. Do you feel like you are comfortable with? The, the the subject matter expertise, the knowledge, the workflow? Do you have a clear understanding of your decision-making bandwidth? Do you have a clear understanding of what your next 90 days are going to look like? Do you feel like you've talked to and connected with enough people that you may be collaborating with on a consistent basis? Do you feel like your, your onboarding manager and your fellow team members that helped you throughout the onboarding process do you believe they understand your communication style enough? Do you think they understand how you work best enough? Just do you feel comfortable moving from the onboarding phase to in the game, right? Do you feel like you've moved from, for my sports listeners out here, 
Do you feel like you moved from training camp or practice to being able to actually, as me being a leader, feel comfortable to plug you into the game and get some good minutes from you, right? Like, has that process been productive for you? Do you feel like you are ready? And I don't believe that enough companies ask or give that, that moment of an extension. And I believe that is a small little nuance, a small little tweak that can be implemented in, in, in a ton of onboarding processes where if you just ask that question and you go about the one-on-one to understand the contextual nuances behind it, it can drive a lot of psychological safety again and make people feel super comfortable to be able to be more productive in their first 90 days. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I... Uh... Once again, I'm like, there's a trend, like, obviously, you and I are very much aligned, and I couldn't agree with you more. But also the other trend on saying that uh, there is a gap to our knowledge of a lot of companies addressing a lot of these issues, right? Um, I will just say really quickly, too, and you and I have talked about this is, um, you know, part of our tool. And once again, the actual name of documents or, you know, um, assignment of the actual um, exercise is not as relevant. But for example, in our tool, we'll have like a little bit of a dossier where the every employee gets to put like a collection of a lot of uh, aspects pertaining to their talent profile. And one of them is like an inclusivity assessment. And that covers, you know, how you like to work, what are your preferences, you know, how you like to communicate, what you were mentioning. And so when you have a place where not only is that documented, but new employees will keep, feel much more comfortable sharing that. Because a lot of times, you know, just the expectations um, are usually more one-sided, but we're from a safe space of inclusion, understanding everyone is so different different, it's better to understand how you can put those employees in the optimal positions for success. A hundred, a hundred, a hundred thousand percent. Um, all right. So now they're onboarded. They're a part of their team. I'm going to go in this direction. So I'm going to give you a scenario here. There's an, the new hires, a part of the team. They've been there for three weeks and they're noticing a couple of different elements. They're noticing the way decisions are made. They're noticing their own person, the workflow that is assigned to them. And they're noticing, um, they're just noticing some, some, some innovation, some tweaks that they can bring to the team, but they're, but they're just not too sure if the tweaks in the decision-making department, tweaks in the workflow department and tweaks in just bringing some new ideas and some fresh perspective to the team is, is welcome, is warranted. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is why I would say everyone should take our <laughs> inclusive leadership workshop and assessment because any people manager needs to be open-minded and very welcome for feedback in improving to your point workflows or ways of doing things. Uh, and I think for so long, you know, sorry, boomers, but they've created this culture where it's just like, just do what you're told and stay in your lane. But that just doesn't work anymore. And, you know, and without going too deep for a variety of reasons, but one of them just being the shift in demographics, right? Millennials and Gen Z already make up 50% of it. So we prefer to work a different way. And we like to, you know, provide feedback and look at things of doing things better. Just because they worked in the past doesn't mean it works in today or moving forward. 
So I would say for people leaders out there, um, you know, create that open safe space. I did it all the time. And to be honest, like I, I think sometimes you'd be surprised how creative and innovative um, even the newest three week team member can be. And frankly, I really believe that it should be something that is baked into the operational fabrics of the leader's job. And so I have done at the end of month one, at the end of the, the at, at the end of month one, at the end of the first quarter, and after the six month mark, I always push leaders to say, go to your newest hires and ask them a series of questions that may fall in line with, again, how decisions are made, any new ideas they want to bring to the table, anything that they're seeing that can be potentially tweaked, any processes that they feel can be recreated to be more productive, more seamless, more efficient. You got to remember, these are new eyes and new ears in your business. You have to appreciate that. You have to respect that. Um, all right. So as we, as we near to the end of this, and we can definitely keep chatting for a bit of time, what are some other things that come to mind for you as it pertains to this path that we're walking or just DE&I in general, right? We, we, we've touched recruiting, we've touched the onboarding, we've touched the first, let's call it month to 90 days. Um, now they're a part of the team for a bit of time and or just DE&I thoughts in general. Sure. So let me unpack this in two ways. Uh, one, we'll finish the talent journey that we're on from a candidate lens perspective. Um, so, And then I will kind of end with talking about the uh, checklist. So we talked about recruitment. We talked about onboarding. Once you're an employee, okay, how can you build that inclusive safe space and as well as, you know, have an unbiased and data-driven process so people all have the opportunity to progress within their careers, right? And we talked about this in the last episode, but career mapping is super critical. And in my opinion, there's no timeline. You can do it as early as the first month. You can do it as regular cadence, depends, right? Everyone has different motivational drivers. So I think you should let the employees or candidates decide um, and understand what their goals and ambitions are and how, you know, you can work together and build out a plan for that. Um, and I think once again, it's like disregard the old school proficiency continuums, right? Instead, focus on the skills that they want to develop and how we can put them in those positions and give them, you know, additional opportunities. Like one thing, if someone wanted to pursue leadership, I always used to give them like tasks and exercises, and then I'll give them an opportunity to run a segment in the team meeting, right? Uh, it allows them to build some of those foundational skills, get some practice, and it allows me to be able to give them, you know, feedback and coaching and pointers. And, and I'll tell you this too, if someone has the desire to turn, go into a leadership position or go into any other position, again, from a DE&I lens, from a psychological safety lens, and to operationalize this on behalf of the organization, supervisors and managers and HR teams and C-suite should be all working together to actually authentically, realistically, and accurately understand the the potential roadmap to to take a new hire a six-month employee a year employee to career progression you should know down to the t here's what we need those folks to learn here's what we need those folks to do here's what we need those folks to understand here are the opportunities from a learning and development perspective <clears throat> excuse me here are the perspectives and here are the opportunities from a 
from a coaching perspective. Here are the opportunities for them to join other teams and gain different perspectives and insights and experiences. And you should be able to provide that plan very concretely, very directly to your people. And I remember listening to a podcast years ago by Keith Ferrazzi, and he was saying, we need to start shifting the conversation of an IDP plan or a PIP plan. It's not an individual development plan to get someone to level up their productivity. Where is the IDP plan for, for those employees to build psychological safety so they actually know the clear path, the roadmap to be able to have success? Where's that map? Where's that plan? So that an employee in the privacy of their own home and as they're kind of gearing up for a new work week, they can really sit down and say, okay, over the next 18 months, if I accomplish these 10 or these 15 things, I know for a fact at the end of that time, I'm going to have a new job, a new role, more money, more responsibility, new relationships, a new department, whatever the case is going to be. Um, before we exit, do you have any thoughts on that? And then what are your other macro general thoughts that you want to share before we end, before we end this podcast? Yeah, no, of course. I was like, I am like, obsessed probably like borderline like crazy about talent it's just something that is just so deeply ingrained in my dna so i could go on and on forever about this but i think um you know we'll save it for the next episode um and i think a part of it is just because i honestly like never got real tangible career advice in my life so i made it my mission to be able to learn as much as i can and so we can pay it forward so well, I'll leave that at the talent piece. And um, in regards to what we started out with um, from like workplace culture. So as I mentioned, you know, diversal helps organizations build inclusive workplace cultures. So we have a checklist and we posted that on our social media. So follow us on LinkedIn if you want to learn more. But basically 10 things. First things first, establish current state, collect and analyze the data. Next, build out your strategic action plan. And then you want to be able to ensure it's measurable. So set those goals, objectives, KPIs, OKRs, whatever that may be. And then you also need the um, learning and development and training and workshops. So we reference, for example, inclusive leadership workshop, right? That every people leader should 100% be able to do something like that. Um, and then there's obviously the um, ERG, so employee resource groups and affinity groups to create those additional safe psychological spaces and help understand and provide suggestions and feedback to improve culture and processes at the workplace. Um, I think there's an element of uh, leadership accountability as well. So we always recommend every organization to have like an inclusivity council uh, that kind of oversees and champions DEIB. We talked about career mapping and talent and uh, recruitment all the way to retention. You know, I think state interviews, like, I don't like the terminology, but it should literally be done like in a formalized way, you know, every quarter, to be honest. And I think I did it all the time, but like more informal, right? Um, but I think at least you can prevent or address those concerns before the departure, because we all know it costs way more to replace an existing employee than it does to hire a new one. And then no, last, no, no, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And then last one was just around governance. Yes, the boring stuff, but important stuff. So, you know, we mentioned too, from an onboarding perspective, um, you know, there should be a DEIB policy program. Do you have a procedure to address 
or report discrimination or harassment. Like these are all the things that everyone should know right off the bat. And where do you go? Where do you find it? And so happy to say these are all items that will be part of our tool. 100%. I love this. Uh, this is going to be fun each week that we do this. And um, my last thought on the stay interview, uh, that's another thing that I was really big on. And I I'll speak about it from a really tactical lens. This really needs to be operationalized. We need to hold our, first of all, we need to teach our managers how to have and hold those, those stay interview conversations. We need to help our, our hiring men hiring managers. We need to help our supervisors, our leaders, our managers to really understand the categories and the questions that should be asked. I'm a big fan of having those questions, like literally having them, not surveys. I actually want there to be a 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 minute conversation. I don't care if you're Amazon and I don't care if you're a small business um, that less than 50 employees. You, If you're running a small team of eight or 12 or 15, if you need to execute all of those stay interviews across by the end of the quarter, you have 30 minutes per person. You have 45 minutes per person. You have 25 minutes per person. The biggest pet peeve I have, and this may be a little bit contradictory to diversal, but I hope it doesn't. So please don't take any offense because it's really not. But my biggest thing is we cannot heavily just rely on product. We need to also remember that product is here to support, to give us data, to measure, and to make more accurate decisions and, 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 and to help sustain and elevate the relationship that we can build with a human on a human-to-human -human level. And I'm seeing too many companies use product as a replacement of that human um, interaction. Uh, and I just don't think that's a smart idea, especially not from a stay interview perspective. So Definitely run the surveys, be able to track and analyze the data at scale, but teach your managers to have conversations with each of the seven to 12, the 15 to 20, the 25 people that are reporting directly to them. Take that data, pass it on to the, to the HR team and start making some really strategic decisions, looking at the trends, but also, you know, brainstorming and getting creative for a, uh, for an employee of one. Um, so any last thoughts on that little rant and then we'll uh, we'll exit here. Sure. I would say you nailed it. The only other caveat I wanted to address, yeah, product, that's, I think what you say is fair, um, but I think it also is a general technology aspect. And in our defense, I'm going to say, you know, you need to have really strong emotional, social intelligence and intuition to be able to manage people. Um, so if the person developing that technology doesn't have that background. That's why that technology isn't going to be as reliable, right? Um, that's the first thing. And then secondly, I think it can also be supplementary, right? Um, and complementary. But I agree with you. There's nothing beats a typical one-on-one -on -one conversation with your team members where you just shoot the shit and just check in and see how they're doing. 100%. Thank you so much. And uh, I think this is going to be the wrap of the uh, the first episode of uh, Diversal. Any any last thoughts, any perspectives, any, any exiting words? That was awesome. Thank you so much. Once again, I look forward to continuing the dialogue and, um, you know, enjoy uh, listening to our content. And obviously, if there's certain topics that people want to hear about, uh, we would love to know. Perfect.